0: Welcome to Midwest Architecture and Design. My name is Jordan Powers. I'm a photographer based in Southern Minnesota photographing projects across the Midwest for architects, designers, and builders. And today I'm talking with Matt Byers and Mark Stanky from Plaid Architects based in Minneapolis. Now I've been following Matt and Mark for years and I I love their work, Uh, but what I wasn't prepared for is how much I would actually love their story. And I think you will too. They talk a lot about how Plaid came to be and they talk a lot also about where the plaid name came from, which I found very interesting. Now, if you've watched or listened to the first episode of this podcast, you know that one of the main purposes of this podcast is to learn more about the architecture and design process. And in this episode, we definitely learn about the process. Uh, Mark and Matt both share a couple stories from different projects and just the level of thought that has to go into a project. We also talk about how architecture is not just doesn't have to be a luxury thing. It can be something that everybody thinks about uh, just in their everyday environment. So I hope you enjoy and get as much out of this episode as I did. Now, if you want to follow along with their work, you can do so at plaidoffice.com or you can go to them on Instagram at plaidoffice. You can find me online at jordanpowersphotography.com or at jordanpowers without the vowels on Instagram. In the meantime, enjoy this episode with plaid. Well, uh, hey, first of all, thank you guys so much. It's great to finally meet you. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk with me for a little bit. A I'm excited yeah, to get to know you guys a little bit. Um, so let's just start from the beginning. Where? How did all this start? I know we talked a little bit before we started recording about how this all came about, but uh, let's just let's just talk through it. How did everything get started?
1: Uh, well, <clears throat> Plaid started in uh, 2013, 2014. Um, both Matt and I had jobs at, at great firms, great corporations and, um, got an opportunity from another silent partner that's involved in plaid that <clears throat> reached out and said, um, are you interested in starting a firm? We've got a project in Jackson hole that, uh, you might be interested in. And at the time, I think both of us were like, well, I don't know. We'll see, you know, maybe, maybe not. And couple things changed in my life before that. And, uh, that kind of pushed me into a, a place where I was more interested in pursuing, having a firm of my own or with a partner. And, um, uh, this opportunity arose stuff at my current or at that employment was not like my dream situation, but just didn't, wasn't a good fit and decided to take a leap and go out there and visit Jackson hole, see what it was all about and took a look at it and said, I, I wouldn't do this without mad buyers and mm-hmm. reached out to Matt and uh, said, Hey, what do you think? And uh, I'll let you take it from there because I think you've got a good lens on it too.
0: Yeah. But no, we both Well, really quick. Were you, yeah. you, guys were working together at that point then too? No, Pretty, okay. we
2: started at uh, James Dayton design. Okay. Uh, just down, well, at that point it was downtown Minneapolis right. and we moved. Two doors down from our current office, and then the economy went south. Two thousand six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. You know. Bubble burst. At infinitum. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we both went our separate ways, and but we knew when we were working at Jim Dayton's office that we we really clicked. We worked well together, and we said it'd be great to have a firm someday. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. know that was two thousand and six. Right. Uh. So. When Mark called me, I mean, we had kept in touch, obviously, and uh, run in the same friendship circles from an architectural perspective. Got a call from Mark in 2013 to said, hey, do you have any interest? And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then it, nothing happened for a while. Yeah. And then 2014 rolled around and Mark called back and said, I think this is real. Do you want to do it? And at the time, my wife was seven months pregnant with our first child. I had a great you know, full-time job at a corporate firm and moving up, which was fun. Mark did as well. Yeah. Mark's wife was also pregnant with her second <laughs> we mm-hmm. said, well, it was a better time to throw caution to the wind and jump out the jump out the door without knowing where you're going to land.
0: It's a big jump. I mean, you're going from, I mean, how long had you been with,
2: with James Dayton? Well, I started there right after grad school. That's okay. when Mark and I met. Mark and I both came. Mark was in Montana. I was out in Connecticut and we kind of both moved, to Minnesota. Mm. Uh, I was moving back, or I should say, I was moving to. My wife is from here. Mark is moving back. And we both landed at James Dayton probably within six months of one another, oh, I, I think. Okay. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so then we were there and then we migrated elsewhere in the, in the community, the architectural community here in the Twin Cities during mm-hmm. the downturn. And we're both fortunate to have stable full-time employment that whole time, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I
1: think I would say one thing that kind of Help the nudge, which is maybe a little bit of interest, is when I was at my job just before um, Plaid or my career just before Plaid, during that time I got, I had stage three cancer and diagnosed with that and fought through that and had kind of a <clears throat> rough diagnosis moving forward. Like who knows what's going to happen. Right. And I was kind of a gift because I don't know if I would have been willing if it to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I was sitting there going, I got a great great career, great job here, but my dream's always been to have my own firm. If I only got five years left, which was at the time a pretty likely scenario. I was like, no, I'm gonna do what I wanna do if it if it's the last five years I got. So Right. That did give us or gave me a big nudge to go forward, and I think I will also would not have done it without Matt, just because we worked so well together in the past, and we kind of talk about it or at least I do. Matt probably thinks it 's cheesy i don't mm. but the whole Bruce Springsteen thing like one plus one equals three
0: mm-hmm.
1: is like when we work together, it seems to create more, like just as it the the two of us make more than equals two, so yeah. Um, that was also a very big nudge to move forward. Mm-hmm. And it, that's where the things all looked, w- looked good to be like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's create something. Mm-hmm. So.
0: And so at that point was, what, what was the, f- the formation? Like, was that a long process or did you kind of, I mean, I'm sure it was in, in many respects, but I mean, did you, what year is it <laughs> <laughs> still, still, still happening as, as we, you know, we're in a brand new location yeah. as well. Yeah. But, um, the initial formation at least, you, I mean, you had already been talking about it and I know you said it, um, you, you had brought the idea up and then it was still some time before it actually was officially formed, but that whole process, was it just, you know, figuring out your mission and, you know,
2: all well the well, I'll answer something here. Yeah. Um, so when I left my uh, former employer, obviously I changed my LinkedIn yeah. to. Undisclosed, I think was what I put. I just put undisclosed. I don't know. What, we don't know what the name is, right? right? And we're developing this project out in Jackson. I got licensed, or I had been licensed already. I got my license in uh, Wyoming then to sign the drawings, and it came down to the point where we were going to be issuing drawings, and I said, "I can't sign unless we have a firm name." Hmm. I mean, so let's figure it out. And that was really the impetus of signing that first set of drawings for this big development out in Jackson. Yeah. And it's funny. One of the one of my former colleagues said, I, "That's an amazing name of a firm." I said, "What was that?" He said, "Undisclosed." He said, "Oh, that wasn't the name of the firm. <laughs> I just didn't know what to put because right. LinkedIn requires you to put in, you know, a name." Yeah. And I just said, oh, "I don't know, undisclosed." He said, "That was a great name for a firm." Said, huh, oh. Maybe it is.
1: Yeah, it kind of feels like we had to jump on the first project, and during that first project, we really started formulating what what we were going to be, right? Because there's a lot of conversations that had to be. Had and this is yeah. a big enough project and long enough project that we had a lot of time, especially on the road, to think
2: about it and talk about it. A lot of trips out to Jackson on the plane where Mark and I are saying, Well, what the hell are we going to call this thing? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we got we had to figure it out by the time we submit drawings, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, some of the first submittals to the city, I don't even think we had a name on it, we just had a title block. There was no name. I yeah, think. that was yeah, it. I said, like, right. well, let's see if we can get a
1: <laughs> Oh, we actually went with the development name. We did, we did, we, went with the we, we submitted name. with the development
2: name. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, a little fly by your pants. I mean, we're still doing it. Well, you know, interesting
0: enough, like one of the, I'm, I'm one of the initial aside from your designs, uh, one of the initial things that was attracted to me was your name, like it's just different. It's so different. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's. I was intrigued and then I discovered you had an acronym, which may have came after the fact, who knows, but it fits well. So like, where did that name, where did the plaid name come from?
1: Sure. I can, I can answer that. I'll say first off, that was, it was not my idea, which I, I, I credit to Matt and and our other silent partner. Um, But I would say that strangely enough, the name, the acronym the, the the what what the acronym stands for came first because we were interesting. We, okay, we were what we were identifying is what we were interested in. I think yeah. what we <clears throat> were seeing in the other firms that we I don't want to be whatever we didn't like and yeah, what yeah. I think clients didn't like is either you get what that one designer does mm-hmm. and that's what you get. Right, and we had we felt like we had the horsepower to do all sorts of things, mm-hmm. and that included product design competitions and art competitions, which we do. Um, so we set out as a, to be more of a creative, like I always looked at it almost more like the Eames office. Like Mm. we want to be able to do anything that comes through the door that's interesting and not just architecture. So lasting was the first thing that came up because I personally don't like the term timeless because I don't believe anything is truly timeless. We came up with lasting because we use this analogy of Ray-Bans all the time. Ray-Ban wearers will always be cool mm-hmm. no matter what decade, no matter what minute.
0: What if and I'm wearing them?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the depending on who's wearing them, <laughs> you're <they're>
0: right. <So laughs> I'm the same here.
1: You can yeah. rock shades. <laughs> I would say that uh, that was the first thing was lasting. We wanted to bring that to clientele and say, look, clients want things that are lasting. They don't want to flash in the pan. And they also don't want to have one thing that is just, um, that's what you get when you come to us. We wanted it to be more of a collaborative situation. Now, depending upon who's doing the designing in the office, it's usually myself or Matt, but the idea of Plaid as we moved forward was also that it was a bigger weave of people. Another thing we saw is that at certain firms, you don't have uh, staff or team members don't have as much agency mm. and we wanted to end that. Cause I think that was some things that we were maybe frustrated with in firm former firms, or at least I was, is to have more of a voice at the table. And we wanted it to be something bigger than we were in the end that we mm-hmm. could eventually it's not, it's not Mark and Matt, you're know, coming right. to go see Mark Those and are, Matt. right? We wanted to create something that's bigger than us. Um, so But that's, still keeping it small. Right. And so that's where it came from, the practice of lasting art, architecture, and design. Because we're interested in art, we're interested in um, uh, architecture, obviously, and design in general. Mm-hmm. And that once more, like, in the lens of the Eames office. And then we were like, wow, that is really close to to plaid. And, Matt, I'll let you take it from there if you want to describe where that kind of...
2: Um, I don't even what the tartan you know I guess oh yeah so well the tartan actually came I mean the the logo the word mark whatever you want to call it that came after I think we looked at it and we said plaid 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 and then uh, for me at least what really struck the deal was looking at the typeface that we used Mm -hmm. and that they were it's the same vertical bar whether it's a uh, P or an L or a D it's the same circular part of that typeface. So it, it looked great. Right. And an A would have it up, uh, or excuse me, an I would have screwed it up. Mm-hmm. But then we, we said, well, it, there's also this, uh, we're Minnesotans, right? There's this, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's almost a Scandinavian it, influence. Yep. And so it, it seemed right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we really haven't looked back on it. Yeah. Quite and, if and if I could you
1: know. the the interwoven idea of plaid just also just as an, as a, A I don't know, as a thought that relates back to what we wanted to do with plaid, which is make something bigger than just the two of us and make a design collaborative. So it actually became a graphic representation as plaid, as what we're trying to accomplish with, with, with plaid. And um, that once again, it's bigger than us. It's, it's, it's strengthened by the people who are involved and mm-hmm. the, the team members and our, 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 group. And that was the intent of, and that how that
2: kind of, well, worked. the other, the, it, the, it started to unpackage itself, right? When we started, oh, plaid, that's a great name. That's a great pronunciation of it. It's a great representation of what we are. But even if you start looking at plaid, I mean, plaid is a, a, an overarching name for tattersall gingham. Um, uh, Scottish tartan plaids. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of variety within that to say, and I think that goes with our mission, you're not going to come to us and have us prescribe a style for your home or a type of home you're going to get. We really want that to be a give and take. We really want to help, uh, help them realize their dreams. Mm-hmm. Right? So whether it's something incredibly modern, which we have a number of projects in the office right now, which are incredibly modern,
1: mm-hmm
2: or more traditional. And we have some projects in the, ha- in, the, in, the, in the office right now that are incredibly traditional, a Norwegian vernacular, a typical yeah. ver- Norwegian vernacular home right now, which is in the same, a mi- less than a mile from a very modern home. So mm-hmm. both coming out of our office, I think uh, reinforces that idea that we wanna, we wanna meet our clients where they're at. We don't wanna be overbearing. Now we're gonna have opinions and, and, and uh, as you should, yeah, you should. And yeah. we're professionals in that in mm-hmm. that arena, and we're going to have opinions and counsel our clients, which w- w- for what we think works best with their lifestyle and and the site and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I think what sets us apart is that we are not a um, focused on one particular. Genre or style?
0: Yeah, it's it's about it's about designing something that, that fits the class. So one of the things that I noticed uh, particularly about your website is, you know, obviously imagery is important because you want to show off what you're doing. But the way you've designed your website, even is it, it it walks somebody through what the process is actually like. Not saying you're the only architecture firm in the country that that does that, but I'm just saying it's it. Is, is, so it, to back up a little bit, part of the reason I'm doing this, and I told you this before the interview is because as a photographer who photographs primarily architecture, I don't know a lot about architecture and I don't know a lot about the process of what you guys go through. Sure. So even going through your website as a photographer, or even somebody who's a potential client in the future, you have it laid out to where it actually is like to navigate through the website. You're walking people through your process. Yeah. Actually, it's working I, then. Good. It is. And I would yeah. like to touch on that.
1: And Matt, I'm sure you do too. Cause I'm glad that you picked up on that. I'm sure we both are. And I think that the thought behind it is <clears throat> we came into this and said, we, we see a lot of firms that are incredible. And this is, we, we love these firms, by the way, yeah. they're incredibly highbrow. Very academic in their research, but for a lot of people and I'm mean like ninety nine percent of the people on the planet they're unapproachable. you can't really work with them because it's so academic and so restrained and so um,
0: it's just not know. it's not it's not as as a layperson somebody who's like trying to understand who doesn't really understand the process like you have to talk to people from from that from you have to meet them where they're at. Versus expecting them to come into it with an understanding of where you're at, you know, so.
1: Yeah. And I I would say that when we, we see some of these other firms, we, we love their work and some of the stuff is so restrained and so academic that it's, they're not meeting, you know, a bigger chunk of the public or bigger chunk of, um, of the built environment in a way that you can apply some of that academic academia to, you know, your academic approach to architecture. And then on the other hand, you have this other group of architecture and I'm not trying to offend <laughs> the architecture. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely not. I'm sure they all understand. Say, so. I will say that there's more of this production, n- no research at all, or very little research at all into some academic approach. Um, there are some, there are some out there that do a really good job, but uh, we felt like there was a hole there that we could, we could, um, reach more of the public with more academic approach in architecture that is studying site phenomena, um, the connection, the architectural connection to the site and actually educate and bring clients a different level of service than just creating a beautiful object and creating a beautiful home, explaining strategies and how it connects to the earth and how it relates to the sun and how there's a, an inspirational you know, start point and a bunch of rigor behind the, the minute we start modeling for that client and then we try to explain it to them and yeah. ma- you know it's it's a lot of diagramming and a lot of saying I know your house is going to maybe be traditional but we're still going to have an academic approach about how we how we're going to craft your home for you and how it's going to relate to the site and how it's going to be special and we've found success in that I think a lot of the clients realize that their house is not only crafted for them but it does have an academic approach and I feel like we tried to find we felt that there was a a gap there missing in architecture. And we're trying to get there. We're trying to fill that mm-hmm.
2: gap. Well, I, I always tell clients, I use my mom as a litmus test, right? Cause I used to teach too at the U and teaching keeps you honest in one way. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but it also makes you realize, I mean, I, again, teaching is incredibly important, um, as is academic architecture. And I don't mean academic in terms of a genre of architecture, but I mean, a, a mindset, mm-hmm. right. But as we're meeting with our clients, we need to keep ourselves reminded. And this is why I use my mom as a litmus test. My mom knows two architects and both are named Frank, <laughs> Frank Lloyd Wright, right. Frank Gary, yeah. the famous architects. Right. Um, but that's about it. And I would say that's probably the, and that's not meant to be derogatory. I'm just, i just, mean, that that's the general public, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're very specialized in our industry, but we sometimes become too hyper-focused, yeah. leaving our own exhaust. And not really thinking we're building spaces for families. Mm-hmm. We're building spaces for people to raise families in to live their lives. And and whether or not there's some underlying hyper logic to the project, they may not care. They probably won't care. Right. It's important to us, I think, internally as designers that that exists. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be at the forefront of our discussions with the client. That's something mm-hmm. that we try to say. You know what? If you're yeah. interested in, and we have a project right now in Idaho where they are interested in that. yeah, And that's a, a breath of fresh air, right? I think at the end of the day, we're crafting beautiful spaces for people to raise their families in. And, and I think we say as much on our website, right? Yeah. Our memories, my earliest memories of architecture are hearing the floor Creek or the screen door slam, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me, that's really important in how people live their lives. and. We tend to get hyper focused. I tend to get hyper focused on well, that wall isn't perfectly aligned, and that yeah. screws the diagram up. But at the end of the day, like yeah. they're never going to care. They're
0: not going to care, and they, and they don't need to understand that either, really. Yeah. And, and, and there, there's some people who might be interested in that along the way. You know, like you may have some homeowners who are who want to be very involved in the process, and they want to understand those nuances just to like better understand what. I don't know. They want to be part of it. They want to, they want to feel like they're, they
2: literally had a a hand in, well, don't get us wrong. That's why we love, we love, you know, we love when we have the opportunity to explore that depth because that really does, I think, touch what made us both architects, you know, this, uh, this underlying logic behind organization and design, that's really important. But, but in our firm, we want to, temper that a little bit mm-hmm, yeah. and make it more. Uh, Mark always brings up the term approachable modernism. Mm-hmm. When we're talking, when we're working on more modern projects in the office, we don't say this is ultra modern. We say it's an approachable modernism. It's more mm-hmm. it's you're comfortable in living. You're not, you don't feel, um, in can, you know, controlled by the, the yeah. architectures. Yeah. The and
1: uh, to be direct on it, and this might be <laughs> bottom line, we both have a we both are very concerned about the built environment and Mm -hmm. have a passion for the built environment. I feel like in the general overall sense, it could be much better. You know, we always talk about, I wish more people cared about the overall understanding of the built environment. I think one thing our profession, especially in Minnesota, like in the Midwest has, we, we tout a lot. We hear, oh, we care so much about the built environment, but there isn't a reach out to try to educate the public at a certain price point about what architecture can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. So where I get a little bit of hard burn is we're trying to reach more people and to create a belt, better built environment, regardless of price point. And I wish our profession did that a little bit better mm-hmm. here, is to reach, try to reach all for that. And it and that doesn't just mean like with public spaces. That means with residential mm-hmm. residences at at any price point. And um, so we have a, a heart for the built environment and if we really care about it, you start going out to certain suburbs where there is new construction and it's, there's a lot done without architects mm-hmm. and we're trying to do whatever we can in whatever price point or capture wherever and, yeah. and, and to make it better. And I, that's, we're just trying to be more approachable and mm-hmm. more malleable in how we can respond to clients and mm-hmm. clients needs. So
0: I think you and I are uh, are on a committee with AIA. um, And so like that's one of the topics that come up a lot as Mm -hmm. well. And and what I've observed as somebody who's not an architect um, is that they're the the general public. Like they they don't think of architecture or design for that matter. beyond the commercial space usually, or they, they, they'll they see like a modern home. They think architecture, like th- that's, that's where their focus is limited. Right. Like design doesn't really expand beyond that unless there's somebody that's actually interested in design. So, so I guess with that said, how, how do you, how do you see that happening? I mean, obviously you can't just do it on your own. It's a whole, mindset that you have to like get other people on board and has to be like a, a community effort but like what do you see being like the next steps or what's needed or what's missing to, to make that happen to make the community more aware or more involved with design or architecture good
1: good question I, I'd say we've seen an uptick in it recently like um we've had different builders reach out and be like ah, I've been told I gotta I gotta you know, start having better design or having architects involved at these price points, the clients are demanding it. So it's great to yeah. have clients at a certain price point demand it. I'd love to see that trickle down farther and farther and have the pressure of, Hey, we need to have better built environments for everyone. And, uh, I, I just think that the demand of it is what's going to obviously drive it, but it, the, I think a lot of the, I wish there was a better way to answer this, but I'd say that HGTV, a lot of people are seeing it's more a, design and seeing more modernism on yeah. TVs and commer- on TV and commercials and seeing, um, all of the technology that can be involved and
2: there's, there's a positive and there's a balance. Yeah. There's positives and negatives to all of that. Because people think that we can just do it overnight. (laughs) Well, I decided it was in a 30 minute episode, (laughs)
1: architect that up quick, my (laughs) my favorite,
2: uh, my least favorite term. (laughs) Are you going to architect that? Um, I would say I see that inflection point coming when we can communicate that it's a value proposition. Yeah. Right. Uh, a lot of, you know, people will go out and buy a car and they'll say, well, for not too much more, you can have heated seats. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, and I just got, I just got sucked into that a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> you know, and it, I, I think it's a change in mindset where it's not uh, when you're buying a house or building a house, uh, you know, you could build a 6,000 square foot house, but do you yeah. need it? You could design and have, a, and be able to afford to have a professionally designed 4,000 square foot house or
0: 1,500 1, square foot. Yeah, yeah, right. And
2: and so that f- for people to make that connection, I think is really important that it's not a, it's not a right now, I think architecture is too often misconstrued as a, as a luxury item. Yeah. It's something I don't need, but if I am fortunate to have the, the ability to do it, I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see it become more of a less of a luxury item and more of a standard package to say, we think the built environment is, and I think it needs to be at a national level communicated to say that the built environment is this important. They're doing as much on the commercial standpoint.
0: I think it'll get there. I mean, even, even in the smallest of industries, like customization is where it's at now, you know, like people can customize things to their own liking. And it's only a matter of time before it comes into their actual, I mean, it's, it's already kind of there, but just like, you know, like we mentioned HGTV Mm -hmm. or Pinterest, like all the DIY projects people are trying to do, like people are trying to make spaces fit their lifestyle a little more. They're just doing, they're not, but they're not quite there yet to where architecture is in the like mainstream vocabulary. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not where they go first. It's usually what can I DIY? But I, 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 I've always said, like, I've photographed a lot of houses. It takes a it doesn't take a lot to impress me, but if I'm in a McMansion, I just, I don't want to be in there. I'm just not interested in seeing those anymore. Like I, 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 my dream project would be like, if I could design a home, it would be like a 2000 square foot home where every inch has a purpose. There's no extra space. Like I want something to be functional and no wasted space. Like that's
2: it sounds a little counterintuitive, but it's actually easier to design with constraints like that rather than saying, well, I need, you know, just, I want, I want a lot of space Mm -hmm. for what? And, and I think what's interesting in this pandemic, people have been spending a lot more time at home saying, well, do I actually need all this this space? Do I need this? Um, I I think, and and I think some changes recently where, you know, accessory dwelling units are allowed for uh, multi-generational families to exist, which makes a lot of sense everywhere in the world except here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and where people say, well, that's interesting. And that, that, that solution came out of a design consideration, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, th- that makes a lot of sense. And there's value in engaging a professional to suss out that value. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I just want to reiterate, I think it's, it, 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 and I think we're getting there, we're going down the right path, but. Looking at, at architecture is less of a luxury item, a nice to have, but more of a need to have. Mm-hmm. And to say, what are we willing to go without so that we can, and I don't mean you know, basic necessities, right, but right. what luxuries could we go out without that we rarely use in our home? And even with that, we'd be able to engage a professional to help really craft this space. So it's special for us. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it needs to be.
0: You you guys mentioned earlier that, uh, people view architecture primarily as a luxury item. Like what does the architecture, what does architecture like from your perspective need to do like the industry as a whole in order to I don't know. Like, what's the next step, or how, how do we get to the point where it's not just viewed as a luxury item anymore? Like, I mean, how, how do we even get there?
1: That comes back to that Matt's value value add proposition. I think how we've approached it and what's worked really well for us is is once again circling back to what you said about the website is having the information and a little bit of that a little bit or a lot of it <clears throat> of that academic approach. And what we've found is what proves that to the client is. Okay, we have site strategies. We we commonly refer to the deck at our office as this project starts and stops with this deck and it's a mm. it grows as the project goes along and what it is is it's a research document. It starts off as a research document. And that all of that proof. All of that proof in the beginning of the document if a client ever loses way or expands out in a direction or scope creep happens, we go back to the principles and said, "Hey, at the beginning of this the lake was going to drive this and the solar orientation was going to drive this. We're going against our, our guiding principles. Mm -hmm. And what's been interesting is I think what we see are those diagrams that research, all of the early initial investigation goes back and goes, ah, okay. That proves it, that architecture is worth it. And then they have their end result and go, Oh, I love our space. And I love our space because a, a, B, C, D, and creating moments in people's lives where it's not only based around those guiding principles and all of the initial concepting and, and, and direction, but they, they can relate that back to their built environment and go, oh, we made all these great decisions based on a lot of really good information. And it wasn't just, I needed a space and I needed it here. And I want to look at this.
0: Yeah. Right. It's
1: much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And when they see that value proposition, that is the way that we're able to sell the idea of architecture at any price point. Because if you're making an investment of any substantial, you know, from, from 20,000 to, to 20,000 to 20 million, um, if you're going to make a substantial investment, a portion of that should be planning it and doing it correctly, or else it's, it, it can be money wasted, and a lot mm-hmm. of times is if you're not doing that. So that's how we've been able to approach it and prove it, and then also then again the next client that comes along, we explain that, and they go, oh, we get it, we get that. That's the value you're
2: bringing and the value add. And it's funny, you, I mean, it's uh, I just want to tag on to what you just said, and that is that. Uh, um, this is one of the biggest investments you'll ever make in your lifetime. Yeah. I was joking with a realtor friend. We come into these houses and there might be you know, 10 other clients look, or 10 other buyers looking at it at the same time. It's the biggest investment you're going to make in your lifetime. And you have to make a rash decision in about three minutes if you're going to throw down your life savings on it. Yeah. Um, if you're going to spend that much money to invest in, your, in a dream, plan for it. Mm-hmm. Right? Take a moment and do it right. Don't just find something that's good enough. For Don't just find being. something yeah. that's good enough. And there are times when that has to happen mm-hmm. and that's completely understandable. Uh,
0: we well, could even go into a pro- like in that case, even you could even go with maybe a, a renovation in mind absolutely. for the future. You know, like, could, does this space fit like at least where it's at now? Does this space, is this a good starting place for where, how I want to, how I want to live and how I want to experience the place where I live? Uh, you know, and then you bring somebody like you in and find out what you can do from there. Like, how
2: can we turn this into, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
2: and as Mark was saying about the, the document that we create, um, last fall, we completed a project. Um, it'll be photographed this coming fall. And one of the final walkthroughs we had in the project, was completely validated everything we did, which was phenomenal to us. Because early in the project, they said we we don't want the traditional notions of space of mm-hmm. rooms. Uh, we don't want the traditional notions of punched windows. And we we, we purchased this amazing lot, right? They have view of a prairie to one side, view of a forest to another. Mm-hmm. And they said we want to be in nature. And so that really dictated a lot of design decisions that were made along the way. And that first or in that final walkthrough with the client, they turned to us and said, thank you. Like you brought, what did she say? Uh, She said this, we're not missing fall this year. Hmm. You brought, (laughs) we are in fall and fall is in our house. That's a significant statement. I mean, it's, it's simple, but it's like, you know, yeah. She said, you, you brought it in, you blurred the boundary, Mm -hmm. you've broken it down. We experience the glory of fall all day in our house in different ways, Hmm. in different rooms. And that that kind of hit it on the head. Said, well, then I think we've been successful. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, Another example would be a client of ours, one of our very first projects uh, out in Jackson. Um, I think I know which one. I think Aaron Kraft photographed that one. Uh, That's right. Yep. Yep. And uh, yes, it was, and it was. Featured a couple of years ago, I think, in Mountain Living. Yeah. Um, but it was for an interior designer. Yeah. And we had this concept um, where these two volumes were separated by a, a very transparent link because it had amazing views of the mountain range to the north. And we said, Well, we want to do it in all glass. And she said, That's fine, but I also I worry about solar right. gain. Right. Well, we said, Well, we can plan for that, right? And so using the software we, we use on a daily basis, we were able to dictate the exact depth of the overhang. There's always a little bit of finger-crossing, and like, well, yeah. the math says it's right, and don't don't doubt math. But you know, you just never know. So, at mm-hmm. uh, any rate, the, a year later, she sent a, a picture, and the agreement was as long as there's no direct uh, direct sunlight in the space uh, uh, on the solstice, right? We just picked a date. Said, all right, hmm. summer solstice, no direct sunlight in there. And so she sent us a picture on I think the, uh, June 21st of the following year, and the sun came to the jam of the window or the sill of the window. And no further. Mm. (laughs) Can't get any closer to that.
1: Like one other example,
2: also a huge weight (laughs) off our (laughs) (laughs) chest,
1: which was a great, that was a great message to get to. I'd say one other one that is similar is we have this project in Coraline, Idaho, which Matt had mentioned already, a really unique client, probably our most modern piece of architecture that we've done so far. And we were, required by the client to have the most minimalist piece of architecture. And we were uh, faced against a ton of variances in this home, (laughs) this development, but the client in our first meeting, um, she's like, I'm here because of the water. And without the Mm -hmm. water, you don't have the sky. You don't have the sky without the water and the light of the sky and the water. So we ended up composing this entire composition, uh, of how the water relates to the sky and the light around it and the change of the water and that it's constantly dynamic and constantly changing. And we're able to take that and create a perforated facade that allowed her to have a perfect box, Corten box of architecture with movable pan, movable perforated panels mm. that are helping to relate to the light. And it's, it's basically a, a gris, um a dot matrix in a representation of the ripples of the water. And it also changes with the day through the light. Mm. So it's and, it, and it, We took the interpretation of the water plus the sky and her love of this. It's not ephemeral. She used, uh, but anyways, she's effervescent, effervescent. <laughs> she wanted an effervescent home when it related to light and water. And we were able to create the entire facade that moves and folds and changes with with day and re- recording of time with light. And we were able to have enough of a powerful story behind the idea of doing this (laughs) to Mm -hmm. get it passed in a development that didn't didn't uh, allow flat roofs, um, facades without an articulation for like every 12 feet. there was a ton of restrictions and we just blew through all of them just with a strong enough case about the architecture and how it related to its place on earth. And it was that, if you can tell a story about what we're trying to do and how this piece of architecture is not only going to relate to the client and how they would like to live and to the space that it's sitting on the globe Mm -hmm. and how it relates to the land. It's enough that that can convince even very staunch design review boards to go, no, I, I think we get it. You guys have been thinking about this. <laughs>
0: you mean you're not just drawing pictures of houses all day Yeah. And down, down <laughs> yeah. the
1: way. There's a house Good. with like a water wheel on it. You know, right. it's like, we're not interested in doing that. We're interested in a little bit of a, yeah. a different interpretation, but um, it was really fun to see that just happened in the last couple of days. But mm-hmm. um, that was really fun to have that pass because it's, it, it just proves it just proves the point of having that much rigor uh, yeah. behind these designs that it can convince a lot of people to, mm-hmm. to change their minds.
2: And what I love about that client is that we learn from her. We learn uh, a different way to think about a project. And we're always looking to clients to teach us. We want to learn as much as we can about your lives, but you may have a different opinion about something. You may have a different experience deep down that comes out during the design process mm-hmm. that really teaches us something. And case in point, it's a courtyard type house. Same project we were just talking about. A courtyard type house. And we had a swing door for the front entry. And we said, well, that makes a lot of sense. It swings. And she said, I don't want a swing door. I want a sliding, a sliding door. I said, well that's a, that might be difficult not difficult, but that's a little abnormal for a front door. It's just not very functional. And she said, well, that's not my front door. Hmm. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, when you come into the courtyard, you're already in my house. When you come Hmm. through that door, you're just going into a different room. That's interesting. She she was considering the courtyard as a very, Hmm. I think in the Western typology, the courtyard is a void, right? It's not part of the, not part of the house. Mm -hmm. It's something that you look at but where she was coming from say, no, no, that is a room and I hmm. will use it. And we had to convince her to have a few hallways because she wanted to actually <laughs> use the courtyard to navigate through the home. And mm. we said, that's amazing, but we get snow here. And so, uh, there was a push and pull, uh, right. but we learned a lot about a different way to approach and think about space. So that's another reason we love what we do because we're hopefully educating clients, on formal resolutions and, and, uh, you know, why things work and solar orientation of the site, but we want to learn from them as well. And that's, I I love being an architect because every project is another opportunity to take a class. Yeah. (laughs) You learn something. See, and and all this is
0: fascinating to me too, as a photographer, like I mentioned, like part of the reason I'm doing these interviews is because I want to learn more about what it is that the people I'm photographing things for, I want to know what goes into those projects. Like, I don't think about all of this. Mm-hmm. I don't think about how you had to spend however, however much time you spent dialing in angles and compositions so that the sun didn't peek through on that, that one day of the year or whatever, you know what I mean? Like just those, those little details, like as a photographer, we're not always thinking about that. We're, we're thinking, okay, primarily where does the light hit? What's the best composition or in reverse, what's the best composition? How does light going to hit this best Mm -hmm. and just capture it. But it's like going into a project, understanding those, those little details of all the thought that went into that is, you know, only going to make what I do a little easier, but just understanding what goes into that process makes, I don't know, it makes me appreciate what I do a little bit more. You know, I'm not just taking pretty pictures of cool geometry you know, which is, you know, (laughs) unfortunately uh, a a lot of the way a lot of us think because we're photographers first, Sure, but having a deeper understanding of our subject and what actually goes into it is going to make, help me make different decisions.
2: Yeah. Well, and I appreciate your viewpoint and projects as well because uh, we see things in one way and we've had it in our mind the entire time. Uh, But Oftentimes, you will approach a project without any of the baggage no influence, that's been yeah. developed, yeah. and you can see something new, right, uh, that we had never thought of. And uh, for example, uh, my wife's a, a painter, um, but she's also a painting professor down uh, in Gustavus. And when she sees a project, she'll talk about it in, oh, that's very interesting the hues, values, or the atmospheric perspective as it receives in space. Right. And <laughs> I'm thinking we're thinking three dimensionally, and she's yeah. thinking painterly about yeah. it. I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay, never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Way. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh no, yeah.
1: not at all. Uh, um, I was just gonna ask back because I mean, the, what's interesting is we do this test in the in the office of if our architectural compositions and our, our directing, you know, our direction, our our, our approach. Um, at the end of the day, when a client or a user is going to be in the building, does it eventually dawn on them the strategies? Right. And that's kind of like a, oh, okay. Are, is this a strong enough strategy to move forward where people will get it without having to have us tell them? Mm-hmm. Cause that was one thing I always disliked about <laughs> academic architecture, especially when you're a student is people had always had, you know, investigations and ideas based on something that was a little uh, little irrelevant and would never be manifested in a space, but you would never feel that. So I was going to ask back, have you had architecture that you photographed that has been, okay, this, I don't get, you know, it's blase. I know you'd mentioned a a different home before, but have you photographed a project that maybe you see the light move across it and go, Oh no, I get why, where they were headed with this.
0: I have. Uh, there's also been times uh, the opposite. Like I, they they say this is why I did it, but I'm, I'm just not seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know. So like for a good example, <laughs> that'd be tough to hear. Yeah. The yeah there, there you go. Well, but it, it's it's mostly because of where I'm coming from. Like so, one of the one of the I don't want to say it's a difficult thing for a photographer, but let's just say if a photographer had an entire day or an entire three days to concentrate on a project, it'd be easy to see those things. But we're coming into a house or a project with a fresh pair of eyes, we're not really becoming intimate with it. So we're not really learning. We're not really learning anything about it. We're looking at it strictly visual, but the times when I've had a full day to like, just soak in a space, Mm -hmm. you start to get it. So there's, I photographed a a project in clear, Lake. it was an architect based out of uh, Texas, Austin. Um, And it was the the way he had designed it. um, He wanted to be able to, kind of see the sunset and sunrise from both sides. So he, he kind of designed it at a fork almost. It's mm-hmm. a very slight fork though. Mm-hmm. It's like almost enough to drive you crazy because it should like you, you want to see a symmetry, but it's not. So that was kind of getting in my way until we got to the end of the day. And I, I understood why we did that because all of a sudden the light was perfect for the shots that I wanted to get. But throughout the day, I'm like this, I don't understand. I don't understand this right. until the end of the day came. I'm like, okay, makes a lot more sense. You could see how the, the light filled in through the house. So that's the thing. If, if, you're, if you're a photographer only spending a couple hours in a space, you may not be able to soak in the reasoning or right. understand the reasoning for a lot of those decisions until yeah, it takes until time. you're there. Yeah. Right. So it, it's, it's, from our perspective, it's a little challenging sometimes, but case in point, like the way I, I like to photograph and the people I, tell, I, I don't like to do things where I rush through and get, you know, 40 photos just for the sake of getting them. Like I really want to, if I'm going to take a picture, I want I want it to be meaningful and I want it to, I don't know. I, I don't want to be all dramatic about it, but I want to tell a story in, in a sense. I want it to, I wanted to have some kind of emotion. I mentioned earlier, I'm not so much a technical photographer, but like I, I'm more responsive. So like I, I want to be able to see something and respond to it. Like what I, I want to be able to say, Oh, that's cool. Like I'm right now, I'm looking over your shoulder mm-hmm. at this and I'm like the way the lights hitting that, like, that's how I photograph. Now I need to figure out the best composition for that mm-hmm. so I can capture the way that lights hitting. So that's how I approach things. But sometimes you just can't soak that in in two or three hours, you know, right. so.
1: You guys make it so difficult, I must say, because I see great architectural photography, and it's one of those things in my life. I have a lot of hobbies, and I feel like I try to, <laughs> I try to my hand at a lot of different skills. But I, I, see architectural photography, and then I try to do it, and I'm terrible. You know, I'm, I'm like, how can I? I want to get better. You guys make it look so good, and then you're like, I'm gonna go try that, and it just, it, it's it's amazing the jump. Like to get the quality of, of representing a great piece of architecture with a photograph. And I've always been, I've always been so jealous of the people who can do it. It's so, it's it's the truth
0: is most of us are feel the same way about each other. Like we're like, you know, there, there's a, we're, we're all always like, and a lot of it is based is the subject, you know, it's like, if you give me a a 1972 split level home, there's only so much I'm going to be able to do with that. Like if I'm a real estate photographer or something, whereas if you give me something that was thoughtfully designed over the course of a year or two and all this planning went into it, then there's a lot more for me to play with. Mm. So if you give me a subject, that's, that has a lot of thought, I'm going to be able to put more thoughtful photography or, you know, more thought into my photography. Um, you know, unfortunately we're not always given that opportunity. So Mm -hmm. here's, here's me looking like, and I knew that project by Aaron Kraft or the Aaron Kraft photograph because I I follow him. Mm -hmm. Like he he's, he's shooting these incredible homes in Jackson hole and and the surrounding area. And you know, we don't have that here in Minnesota. I mean, We don't have the 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 mountains behind us. We don't have the environment. Like there's just, it's all it's all subjective. So the Grand Teton popping right,
2: exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, I will say though, with moose going in the background, yeah.
2: You had asked earlier, how do we, how do we bring design to the public, and I and I think you're an important part of that. Absolutely. Telling the story in a way that we can't—we can't get out of our own way sometimes—but you can tell it in a way that can reach a lot of people. And I would say, uh, I'm very having not being from Minnesota originally. I'm very grateful to be practicing here because I think the, as a whole, the, the citizens of Minnesota get it. I would mm. say, and, there w- and it goes to show with the world-class museums and theaters and the support of the arts that we have here, that is really unparalleled for cities and states of our size. They get it, and they're mm-hmm. willing to go there with us, so to speak. And so, we're very fortunate to be practicing uh, among what we consider some of the very best in the country. We have. Uh, there's a reason why I think. Uh, local firms now have won the national firm of the year award oh, yeah. um, nationally competing against firms in New York and the West coast, because I hate to say it, but I, I think we're more interested in doing, um, or, or, or engaging our clients maybe here in the Midwest, yeah. um, rather than just trying to shoot for that next photo opportunity in a magazine on the coasts, mm. they do great work out there, beautiful right. work. but I think. Um, we're a little bit of uh, under the radar, and I kind of like that. We can just do what we do and do it well, yep. and it'll come. That, and that's that's the the
0: the reason I titled this podcast Midwest Architecture and Design because it's people are so focused on the coasts. Or, you know, now, now Austin, everybody's kind of flocking there and sure. just the, the different hot spots throughout the country. But like this, the Midwest is not forgotten, but it's just not, you know, people don't see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So,
2: but anyway, and it's honest, <laughs> <I'd say> it's <laughs> yeah. honest design, but they keep us, I would say because of the different mindset here, different mindset. It just keeps the design honest. And I appreciate that. I really do. It's rooted. It's grounded. It's personal.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So, well, I think that's a great place to end you guys. I, I, it was
0: super insightful conversation for me. I appreciate you guys taking the time. And once again, it was great to finally meet you in person and sit down and pick your brains on this. I learned a lot about uh, architecture, but not so much about architecture, but just like how you're thinking about it. You guys are the first official architects I've spoken with about this, and to be honest with you, I haven't had de- this in depth of a conversation with an architect about design or architecture in general. So this conversation alone has been very informative to me, and I'm hoping whoever's watching or listening to this feels the same. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Thank look you. forward to talking again in the future.
1: And it was great to have that conversation. Thank you. This yeah. is a Wonderful. And I'm yes. I'm glad you're. Doing
0: that. <laughs> yeah me too me too it's yeah so cool well thanks again for the time you guys thank you, awesome. thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Midwest Architecture and Design. If you're an architect, designer, or builder, and would like to collaborate on a project together and be interviewed on this podcast, please reach out to me at jordanpowers.com. Now, if you'd like to help keep me motivated to continue making these, just knowing that you found this worth watching or listening to is reason enough. So please do me a favor and subscribe wherever you're listening to this or watching so that I know what kind of reach this is getting. Also, if you're listening to the audio-only version of this, you can watch the episode for free at midwestarcdesign.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Jordan Powers without the vowels.